All right. Start the clock. Release the penguins. <laughs> and release the owl. Watch out. <laughs> Welcome to the Boiled Down Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam. Sam, I love you. Oh, I've been waiting to hear that for years, Don. The last three meetings I've been to have been about love. What is going on? People are losing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we need to talk about love. (laughs) Because you know what the opposite of that is. Hmm. Murder. Love and murder. (laughs) (laughs) Two sides of the same coin. (laughs) Oh, man. So seriously, so y'all have been talking about love as the uh, the topic. Well, it's strange, you know, and and then talking about how, well, I was on one meeting and Buddy C, who's been on the podcast, was Uh talking about making amends and step nine. And he brought an approach from, from love to first look at the person you want to build a bridge so what do you appreciate about them and to to start the amends with that which sucks the fear out because if you're going to start with what you appreciate about the other person it's not as daunting to get started doing this difficult thing of you know saying what i did wrong I like that approach. And then I was at two other meetings. We didn't ask Bill sees it. That was about love. And it's just like, well, I just want to totally messed up there, Don, because, you know, we should be talking about love in the middle of February. It's supposed to be <laughs> gratitude right now. Okay. So you're turning it into a cliche. Well, yeah. And I don't like cliches. So, but, oh, let me but just I'm such say, a walking cliche. Let me just say, Sam, if nobody's told you that they love you today, <laughs> maybe you need to look at yourself. Oh, that's not the cliche. I like that one. <laughs> of course, my favorite cliche around love is I love everybody and you're next. <laughs> <laughs> that's almost a threat. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I love that we have a guest today. I do too, because to have to spend this whole show with you would just be murder. Would <laughs> be the opposite of love. <laughs> Let's bring I in guess. some love and light into the room. Aw, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm over here, like silently laughing this whole time. Um, <laughs> I'm Shana, and I'm an alcoholic. Hello. Hey, Shana, <laughs> thank you so much Shana. for joining us. Thanks for having me. We have a quick little bit of housekeeping that we've got to do because Don did not believe that you and I know each other. And (laughs) I I was quite affirmative to him when we were talking about uh, you being a guest on the show that I know her Mm -hmm. and he just did not believe it. And then finally, once we all get on screen here and your reaction when you saw me, because I came in late, was just like, oh, Sam, I haven't seen you're and like best then, buds. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's a reason that we're best buds. I mean, there's lots of reasons, but one of them is that Shana used to be my wife. 
get out my AA wife <laughs> and there was a, a a particular part to that assembly required <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> Shana and I were both in general service and so when we would go to an area assembly seeing as how there's no sexual attraction amongst us um, we were totally cool with sharing a room and so I referred to her <laughs> as my AA wife, assembly required. <laughs> and it worked beautifully. <laughs> Only when you go to an assembly. Exactly. I <laughs> got you. So, and we've, we've known each other for, for quite a while. Yes, I know. I probably met you because I moved to Greensboro in 2010. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure I met you that year. So, Surely, God, yeah. 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Shana, when did you get sober? Oh, that, that is such a, that's a hard question to answer, but my official sobriety date is February 15th, 2009. Well, it's hard to answer. Was there some uh, you, bouncing as you went down oh, the yeah, cliff? If you say, when did you get sober? I'm like the first time, the second time, the third time, or the time I changed my date because I smoked weed for two years. Like, that's how I have to ask. <laughs> that's how I have to like, I'm like, which, which date do you want? <laughs> did, did the, did the marijuana maintenance program work? <laughs> oh no, my God. I was like more miserable after that than I'd been drinking, I think. So no, that was not a good plan. Hence that I don't count that time anymore. Wow. <laughs> so you, you've been toying with the idea. It sounds like you'd been in AA mm -hmm. a few times. Yeah. What? What happened inside of you that was different the last time that enabled you to give up? Well, it took me two years to give up because I had, I was determined on when I was out for um, however many years it was to control and enjoy my drinking. I was going to be <sighs> that gentleman and guess what? It didn't work, but I was still really mad that it didn't work. So I'm sitting up in a mental hospital mad and um, they're telling me, you know, people are bringing meetings in and I'm, they're like, you should go. And I went and just sat there all sullen, you know, and uh, got out. And my dad, who was in AA and sober, drove down from Lynchburg to Raleigh to make sure that I got to a meeting that night. And so I was going like for most of that time, that two years, but I wasn't, I was so mad. I was mad that it didn't work. I was mad that I was still an alcoholic. Um, I didn't want to admit it, but I knew that when I drank alcohol, I went completely crazy. And so I knew I couldn't drink, but I didn't really want to surrender and be a part of recovery and AA and all that. So I just fought it. And I went to, um, wait a minute. What do you mean? It didn't work. What did wait, which what you said you were mad that it didn't work. Um, that, that, oh, that it didn't work. That me drinking didn't work. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah. 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 That's. No, AA worked just fine, but I was mad that drinking didn't work for me. And um, I wasn't really willing to accept that. So that whole time I wasn't thinking like, this is, this is my life now. I was just thinking, I'm going to, you know, try to get my shit together and then hopefully be able to drink again someday. You know, um, I wasn't mm. thinking like I'm surrendering, I'm, you know, doing the pro. No, I wasn't, I wasn't there, but then, um, I got to be friends with somebody that had um, a lot, a lot of sobriety, uh, Julie Kay in Raleigh. And she mm. took me to this roundup called Quest. And she was like, come on, little 
sullen person (laughs) (laughs) come have some fun and sobriety and um I did I had fun at that that conference but um I remember at the very end, it was sort of my like spiritual awakening, you know, we went around the room and it was like the gratitude meeting at the very end and everybody's talking about like how great it was to be sober and all that. And, you know, this time I'm still claiming that I have almost two years sober and it comes to me and I don't even know what I shared. I don't know if I said this out loud, but I know in my head, I was like, I still want to die all the time there's something wrong with the way I'm doing this because everybody else is not having this experience in sobriety. So I went, and at this point in Raleigh, I had already started to make some moves to change some things up. So I had gotten a new home group, a new sponsor. I was actually going on a regular basis, but I was still claiming that I had this time. And so I went back to Raleigh and I told my sponsor, I I haven't been completely sober this whole time. You know, I had drank near beers. I had eaten pot brownies. I'd taken, you know, it wasn't like a daily thing. None of that was daily, but it was just like my continued refusal to surrender to being fully clean and sober. And so I just was like, I need to just get a white chip, you know? And so I did in my home group and we picked a date. The reason I, I often have a hard time when people say, what's your sobriety date? Because I didn't hit a bottom on February 14th. I just chugged a bottle of like, quote unquote, fake champagne trying to get a buzz, you know, because <laughs> it has like a little bit of alcohol. And so my sponsor was like, when is the last day you think you did something sketchy, like not quote, fully sober. <laughs> and I was like, Valentine's day. I think that's it. You know? So that's why uh-huh. we picked that day. So The day I hit my bottom was March 21st of 2007, but you know, that's not my sobriety date for reasons aforementioned. So Uh yeah. So so it's the date that you surrendered. It real it is pretty much. I mean, I didn't surrender. Which is your real sobriety date. Yeah. But it wasn't that day. It was like, it was like a month later or like, Uh you know, some time later. And then we picked that date, you know, but yeah, that is around the time that I surrendered for sure. Yes. That surrender goes on and on and on. I mean, I, I I was surrendering alcohol two years into the program. I mean, I would find places where I was holding on to the idea that someday, somehow, in that situation, maybe I'd be able to drink. And the last one was if I were to get some fatal disease. Mm. And then it wouldn't matter if I drank because I was going to die. And you found out that being born causes death. And (laughs) got it. (laughs) Life causes the fatal disease. Sam, um, I can't help but notice that this is the third podcast in a row that you have pointed out that we're all going to die. <laughs> Maybe nihilism is my new thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're not helping me with my denial on that death thing. Uh, well, you know, uh, I haven't started interviewing your replacement yet, so that should give you some hope. Yeah, I'm still uh, kicking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling much better. <laughs> you know, Shana, I, um, there are, you know, no doubt differences in your and my story, but we, we both have that new sobriety date thing mm. going on. Um, cause you know, my last drink of alcohol was in 2003 mm-hmm. and for me very strongly, that is when I hit my bottom. Yes. I mean, that was like, I cannot do this anymore and I cannot live this way. 
you know, suicide attempts were part of my history there and all that. Um, but in 2012 is when I got honest about poppers and diet pills that I had been using for uh, over two years. Yeah, and uh, yeah, because I completely deluded myself during that period. Mm -hmm. But when I got that moment of clarity uh, is when I knew I had to reset my date. I had to get a new date because I had to get honest and trying to hold on to that dirty clean time um, would have wound up driving a wedge between me and the people in this program that I love. Yeah. And I will say too, you know, I am grateful, so grateful for, I don't know who else knew. My dad definitely knew that I had not been fully sober and that I was going to meetings claiming sobriety. And he was adamant the whole time of that, of honey, you were sober according to AA, you have every right to go and claim your time. And for him, like he would never have done that, but that him supporting me and continuing to go to meetings and even say I was sober, because according to the traditions, you can claim that. That's why I say, this is my, my thing, you know, like mm -hmm. everybody does whatever they want to do. And if, I don't know, if I hadn't had that one person saying like, you have a right to go and sit in meetings, I probably would have gotten drunk again. And I don't know what would have happened to me. That's why I don't ever, you know, like I don't, I wouldn't sponsor someone personally who was doing those, those things. But if I had like a friend or someone I was talking to, I would probably try to take that same tack that my dad did because it saved my life. You know, mm -hmm. I needed to go to meetings. I needed to believe that I was sober, but then eventually I needed to figure out for myself that I wanted something better and different, you know? So yes. that's, that's kind of how I approach it. And, and yeah, everybody just has to figure their own stuff out, I think, you know? Oh, gosh, yes, we do. I'm so glad you put that and you, you stated it so well, because it, it is that thing of, um, I, ha I had people tell me too, you know, you don't need to reset your date. Alcohol was your thing, you know, and that's true, mm -hmm. except, uh, and, and I'm very uh, mindful whenever I'm talking with people, particularly one-on-one -on -one or sharing in a, in a group setting about my restart and my reason for it yeah. is because me using poppers and diet pills is not sober for me. Yeah. Yeah. And my dad too, when I will say, when I, I, he was the first person I called when I came back from quest and said, I need to pick up a white chip. And he said, honey, I think that's the right thing to do. So that, you know, it wasn't like he was saying like adamant, like you're mm. sober, you know, he was just like, don't drink no matter what. That was his thing because I was an alcoholic like he was where every time we drank, we could have gone out and killed somebody in our car or like, you know, I mean, we were just nuts, you know? And so it was just like, whatever you need to do to not drink, like, just don't drink, you know, that was kind of his uh, mentality. And that's mine too now, you know, but I'm so glad you got that support. Yeah. Like eventually, you know, I just wanted more from life. Like I didn't want to keep living this life where I was, you know, kind of pretending to still have this lifestyle of a drinker and going to bars and drinking near beers and hanging out with the same, like, I just didn't want it anymore. Like it was old. It was making, not making me happy. It was putting me in danger of like drinking for real again. And, you know, but again, it was, I had to figure it out for myself. Mm. So the decision to surrender has to come from inside Absolutely. is what both of you are saying. And yeah. that, and that decision comes along the way. I mean, there, there are steps along the way of making that decision. It gets more effective, deeper, I, you know, I, I, peeling the, the, the layers of the onion type of thing. 
Um, you know, Shana, I am so glad that, that you're talking about this because it, it takes me back to a conversation I had with uh, one of the two guys that I sat down with on March 17, 2012 and said, this is my new date, mm -hmm. David. He and I had a conversation well, within the past year about the seeming rigidity of abstinence of all mind-altering substances in various 12-step fellowships. Mm -hmm and how there's a detrimental side to that, which is yeah. exactly what you're describing. So if I had not made the decision that I need to, needed to reset my sobriety date because mm -hmm. you know I'm an alcoholic, I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I used poppers and diet pills in a way that didn't work for me, if I had decided to stay sober, but other people were pointing their finger at me and judging me and telling me, no, you cannot say that you're sober. You need to pick up a start over chip. Um, that type of behavior drives so many people out of exactly what is saving their lives. Absolutely. That's what Al-Anon is, is all about. It's like mm -hmm. quit focusing on the alcoholic, leave them alone. My wife got into Al-Anon and the last two years of my drinking, I no longer had anybody telling me that I needed to quit or that I had problems drinking. Because before that, she was like getting, setting up doctor's appointments for me. And the doctors would say, you drink three beers a night, every night? <laughs> and <Three>. I was going, <laughs> well, actually, I was lying about the three. It's at least three. <laughs> <laughs> but when she stopped paying any attention to it, then the focus all came back on myself. And I started seeing that I couldn't control it and that it was controlling me. And that happened from people not, in fact, my, the first guy I went to see about AA, I was wanting him to invite me to an AA meeting, but I, I didn't want to ask, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't want to, that's what that would be that rude. much interest, <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, you know, maybe he would invite me and he, he never invited me to come. He was just, well, we can talk about drinking and we talked about drinking and all that. And then I got together with him again. We talked about it. And then finally I asked and he took me to a meeting. And even then when I was working the steps with him, he would like go, well, now if that's, if what you're saying is true, you could be an alcoholic. And finally I was like going, I am an alcoholic <laughs> grab him by the lapels and shake him and he's going that's okay okay <laughs> it's there, there's a, there's an important uh, moral in the, in this little story that i want to point out don and that is you know particularly for our our southern folks who you know we we i, you know, I grew up in the south so i can talk about this you know we grew up with manners and all that kind of stuff um not that other people don't as well but you don't invite yourself to a party yeah. <laughs> Honey, invite yourself to AA. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ask to, to come, party. you know, yeah. just show up, crash that party. Yes. <laughs> you don't need an invitation and, and you do, don't have to be polite about <laughs> just crashing or showing up. So, Shana, you got, you, you surrendered and you got into AA and you got a sponsor. And so this last time when it, you started really doing it, can you think of a particular step where you had a revelation like, oh, I can see how I'm different. I'm changing here. Um, when I started changing, I don't know. I mean, like my revelation was that moment at Quest and then coming back and 
really changing my whole life. I mean, that I had already joined a home group, like I said, and found a new sponsor, but I was still like, I needed to take that next step of like coming clean with my sobriety date. And after that, I was all in. You know, my early sobriety after that was really rocky, like not my first few months, but that first year, oh man, a lot of stuff happened. I know that that first few months, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I was on a pink cloud. At least I was, I was feeling like this is the right thing to do. I mean, I got very involved. I was with a, I joined in one of those really, which this has always worked for me coming in or coming back, but it only works for me for a limited time. And again, this is just for me, but I joined one of those very strict home groups where you come in, you get a service commitment, they assign you a sponsor, you know, they basically like tell you what to do. And I needed that. I had like, I was involved in my home group. I had a strict sponsor, you know, we got together, we did steps, we read the big book. We, I did a lot of fellowship with women. Um, in AA, I, you know, I did the whole, I did the deal. I did the whole thing. And, and I went to, I started going to more meetings and just started working the program as I knew But I mean, I knew from past experience that AA worked. It's not like I'd forgotten that. It's just that I'm an alcoholic and I wanted drinking to work. You know, like that's what I wanted yeah. more than anything. What an and, honest statement. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it wasn't like a shock to me that I started working the program and my life got better and I got happier. Like that wasn't a surprise. You know, I, that had been my truth before. I had had eight years before I relapsed and I knew that AA was great and that it worked. And I grew up seeing that in my dad as well. So um my last fourth step I did was so thorough that, and, and see what you're going to hear is I made, I've made every mistake you can make in recovery. So I was working this fourth step and I changed sponsors in the middle of it, um, which is not a great idea. And so I went to my new sponsor and showed her this full composition book. And she was like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is too much. <laughs> I mean, I was so determined. I mean, this was like how, what a kind of a transformation I had is I went from not caring about, you know, recovery to like, I was desperate for this to work. Like, just like I was desperate for drinking to work. I was like, I do not want a fourth sobriety date or fifth or however many I have. Like, I was like, I want this. I really want to do this, you know? And so I was like, fearless and thorough means fearless and thorough. It means I talk about things I did when I was three years old, which everybody gets to figure that out. But like, it was a lot, you know, it was definitely a lot. And um, so I think I changed sponsors like a few times before I actually got to the fifth step and did. Some people get drunk doing the fourth yeah, step, I know. which is an inventory. You, we right. take an inventory of, of every place that we're wrong and our anger and all of that. And, and it's hard to look at. Yeah, it is. It is hard. But so I um, got my sponsor, Charles. Anyway, I did my fifth step with him and we just, he really helped me to see those patterns, you know, and that's what it's about. Like, it's not about beating yourself up or whatever. It's just about what do you keep doing to screw yourself over in life over and over again, you know? And I think seeing that was really important and to continue to see that, you know, like inventory for me, like never stops. I have been just struggling with like relation. I mean, who doesn't, but like, I've been looking at a lot of relationship stuff and behaviors over the past few years. And it's, you know, done some like 
smaller inventories or at least on certain relationships. And it's just like, you know, that first four step is the beginning of a lifetime process, you know? And I think that that's what that taught me is that, you know, and you can call it a mini four step, a 10 step, whatever, but it's just like, it's up to me to figure out what I keep doing to hurt others to mess up my own life, you know, like it's not anyone else's fault, like whatever situation I get in now there, this is, you know, there are situations where it is someone else's fault, like actual abuse, violence, you know, coercion, things like that. But like most situations I got myself in, even that, that did fall into those categories, I can look back and see, here's how I got here. You know, and how do I not get here again? If I don't like where I am, I need to backtrack and figure out what happened, you know, and AA gave me the tools to do that better than anything else. You know, I go to like, I get a lot of other outside help and therapy and, you know, one, one type of therapy I do is also very structured and has tools and you know it's it's like the kind of action oriented thing that really appeals to me but like nothing has helped me more than AA and that's with every area not just drinking that's with everything in my life I can go back to the steps and trace how did I get here what could I have done differently and what do I want to do differently moving forward yeah I think of that with the the man I was drank and the man I was will drink again. Yes. And I need to look at myself. And so, so what the steps do is, is get me to take the blinders off and look at my behavior. And I liked what you said. It's the, the inventory is about finding the patterns mm-hmm. that what the things I fall to that don't work. That's what the inventory mm-hmm. is. I know I've heard a lot of people say, you know, we also write an inventory of, what's good about us. And if you have really low self-esteem and who doesn't, (laughs) who comes in, well, then I can see that, but really that's not the point of it. The point of it is to see what do I, what do I do that doesn't work? Cause that's what I want to change. And that's what needs changing. It is. And I love that you also talk about, you know, this was the beginning. It's an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. You know, that first fourth step that I did. Yes. That was a huge task of, you know, here's the big clean. This is let, let's get all the stuff that's obvious and, and a few things that bubble up and all that. And, but also I didn't quite realize this at the time I was learning how to do a fourth step yeah so that I can do that subsequent times. And, and one of the other things that I really like, um, I have worked a fourth step now with several different sponsors in different ways. Mm-hmm. It's still the same recipe. I, I like the idea of, of comparing this to a, a recipe for a cake. Mm-hmm. Um, you have this basic recipe for a cake and you do it this way and you will get a cake. Now, if you leave out some things or put in too much of other things, you know, you may wind up with a mess instead. Mm-hmm. Um but you can also flavor your cake. You can make it a different shape. You know, you can do all kinds of things. Uh, and so that's kind of what I get by working this program. First of all, I got to work it someone else's way, but by working it the different ways that I have learned uh, from various sponsors right now, I'm doing the, uh, the steps again. I'm, I'm, uh, and I'm doing them using the NA workbook. I've never done that. And I've, you know, I'm not a member of NA, but my sponsor has membership is a member there. That's what he suggested. I'm like, that sounds cool. I've never done that. And I am getting a completely different experience of working the steps. That's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, that workbook is, they are not playing. <laughs> <laughs> I had a sponsor 
sponsor who gave me that like um, many years ago and I quickly got a different sponsor. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, there are, there's a lot of questions to answer in that. Yeah. <laughs> I had this dream one time. Well, it was when I was first working the steps and writing it down. And uh, I went to do this, like, you have to be of a certain age to know what a cloakroom is at the school. But it used to be at the school, you come <laughs> in and put your coat in the back of the schoolroom. And uh, I was in a space like that, and I had a shelf for, like, the hats and stuff. And there were all these globes there that were, like, these translucent globes. And people were walking around outside of the room in all of this golden light. And they had these robes on and they had these globes on their heads, just these big round spheres that were filled with light. And I was going, wow, that is so cool. And I picked up one of the globes and the person next to me said, you know, you can put that on, but what you put it on, you can never take it off again. Hmm. And what it was, was, you know, once I look at myself and really look at my behavior, I can't go back and pretend like that's not happening anymore. Yeah. I can't pretend that I'm, I don't know that I'm the problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. You know, here's a character defect I do. Like one of mine is victimhood and I start playing the victim. Now, like in these COVID times, I can get into it. Oh, this is my poor me, you know, it's like, and that will be my excuse to eat a gallon of ice cream. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, if I'm doing that, I can't do that now mm -hmm. and get away with it because I've put the globe of illumination on. <laughs> oh I'm my wearing God, the it now. globe of illumination. <laughs> yeah, when you were describing that initially, Don, I totally went to, this sounds like Aliens on Star Trek, the original series. <laughs> <laughs> it is true though that i mean just like in our night step promises we've got that line of uh, we will uh, understand the word serenity we will know peace mm -hmm. you know that means that when i don't have serenity and peace i'm very aware of it now oh yeah i know what that feels like and i don't like it mm -hmm. um Similarly to that, it's that, that self-knowledge thing, that, that ability that I used to have to believe or not even have on my radar that I could possibly be the problem is gone. Yeah. I know that when I'm feeling like shit or I'm mm -hmm. having a bad day or people are irritating the hell out of me or yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's, it's me. I know it's me. Yeah. It pisses me off. Kind of like you were pissed off about alcohol, not working, not being able to drink. <laughs> It kind so of pisses me off that I can't fix that, except, oh, shit, I can. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that level of discomfort, like where the discomfort is when I'm, it keeps lowering lower and lower to the point now, you know, that things that were not below my level of observation, I see, like I can tell that I'm getting pissed off at, at a much earlier point than I mm -hmm. used to be able to yeah. tell. And I don't like the feeling. So this is where if you've been sober longer, people look at it and go, what are you talking about? It's that I was telling a sponsee about letting go. And he was going that letting go at the point, like never getting irritated in the car. I don't want to be irritated when I'm driving. It's such a low level problem 
to be irritated with other drivers. <laughs> now it's perfectly natural. Somebody pulls right in front of me to be irritated. It's like, what do you, what do you, but I don't want it. Mm -hmm. I do. I don't like the mm -hmm. feeling. And I was telling him about it. And he, and he said, that is some ninja level. There. I'm not, I, it's like, no way. Yeah. Bad drivers are the broken shoestrings of, of like, there's, there's some type of analogy there. Um, <laughs> you know, the broken shoestring is what gets us uh, drunk. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I like that you talked about the, uh, the bad driver or the driver pulling out in front of you. I don't want to be pissed off when I'm driving, but there's two different things in play. Am I pissed off because I'm getting every red light or because I've got people driving slow in front of me and I'm going to be late because I didn't leave early enough? Yeah. Or am I pissed off because someone just did some bad driving that endangered my life and it scared me? Mm -hmm. You know, those are two completely different things. Yeah. Um, the, the first is one that is, you know, I, I need to own that. And it's something that is not going to go away that entire drive. Um, and it probably can carry on even further into my day of me being irritable because I was late to something that I should have left on time for. Um, but that person who almost killed me, um, I didn't die and I'm on down the road. I've probably let that go. Mm -hmm. It's not continuing to stay in my head. Yeah. Um, and, and those are two things that just popped into mind when you were That's talking about that, Don. I was just driving back from the beat. We went last week or so on a trip and it's about a four hour drive back. And there was a couple of guys on motorcycles. that just came out of nowhere, <laughs> right? Dense traffic. And they were just weaving in and out of it. And I just was like, it was scary. Mm -hmm. Okay. If they have a wreck in front of me, what am I? I just slowed down and didn't like start fuming about it, which would be my natural reaction. That's one of the things I was thinking about when I brought this up, because I just didn't even go there with it. I just simply, well, I'm not in a hurry. Mm -hmm. yep. So I relaxed and slowed down a little bit and let them move on ahead of me. So to bring this to a, uh, a, a more um, contemporary example, I'm having this problem with people who are not wearing masks whenever I'm out on a street on a, uh, a sidewalk that has you know, lots of people on it. I catch myself, although I, I find myself getting a little less pissed off. I'm, you know, I'm wearing a mask out in this. I'm finding myself getting a little less pissy about it because I don't want to feel that. And instead, I'll step off into the road or into the grass to yeah, give them it. wide berth. I don't want to, I shouldn't have to. It yep. pisses me off about it's not that. Fair. It's, not, it's fair. not fair. My entitlement kicks in, but quite frankly, I'm doing it to protect my ass. I, you know, I, I, I'm doing it for me in multiple ways. I'm doing it to protect my, my physical health and I'm doing it to protect my mental health, my emotional health. Now I got to admit that I did just post something uh, that, you know, I, I think it should be a new rule. And that is that there the sidewalks are the mask lane. And mm -hmm. if you're not going to wear a mask, you should walk on the street, mm -hmm. <laughs> make some rules, make some rules and control hey, the world. Sam. Let me Go be ahead. God. Damn it. <laughs> let me be God. God damn it. Yeah, that works. <laughs> the, the hardest thing about letting go, I think is pride because it's it's not there there is the injustice of it mm. yet if i can't control it being angry at it 
does not do me any good. If I look at it and see, okay, where can I do something about it and then put my energy towards that, but just being raging against injustice <laughs> upsets me and I don't like to live there. Shana, how do you deal with things that you can't control? Do you like do I any know, justified anger? Yes. Yeah, justified anger really popular with you? Um. <laughs> Well, justified anger, yeah. Um, I had a situation um, kind of ongoing for the last like year, some change where I really had some justified anger. Like someone did something to me irrevocable that I was and still am very, very angry about. Um, and I don't know, I find like I was thinking this when Sam was talking like, like, the process is very similar slash possibly the same, whether it's justified or unjustified. It's like, I still have to, because either way, like that, the anger is hurting me, you know? And so, so let's say someone hurts me, which they did. And I am continuing to lose sleep and just be just sick with anger over it. Now I'm getting hurt. Now I'm hurting myself more you know, because of this thing that this person did to me, like that doesn't make any sense. You know, it just doesn't. So it's up to me to, again, use the steps, use my sponsor, use the tools to work through that. But, you know, I really, in this particular situation, I was trying to kind of do this by the book and pray for this person and all of that. And my sponsor, like I, I called her and, and was just, I was like, no, this isn't, wor nothing's working. Like I am still so mad. And she was like, you have every right to be mad. And so you just need to put this on the shelf for right now, you know? And she gave me like a parallel example in her life. And she's like, stop praying for this person. Stop, stop, just stop and put it aside. And when you're ready, we'll deal with this, you know, but you like, it was almost like, tr like worrying about trying to get rid of the anger was like agitating me more. And mm. once I just kind of was like, I just have to kind of let it go. Like, yeah, I'm going to be angry at this person for a long time, you know? And, and I was worried I was going to get drunk, you know? Cause I'm like, not that I wanted to, but it's like, that's what you hear in meetings. It's like anger's poison. You're going to get and She's like, you know, you're doing everything you need to do. Like you're doing everything you need to do for your recovery. And, you know, this is a justified resentment. And like, you might just have to put this aside for a minute and, and just focus on yourself and your recovery and we'll come back to this, you know? And so I did, and it worked. Like I stopped trying to not hate this person, <laughs> you know, quite honestly, yeah. like I, and, and it, and I, and it stopped feeling like it was poisoning me. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's it like, does. it does. Well, I mean, too hard to get rid of something. And I just need to like, put it aside and just shift my focus and just yes. accept that I'm going to have feelings about stuff, you know, that, that are uncomfortable and that are strong. And I think, you know, again, my instinct is, oh my God, feelings are bad. I got to get rid of them or it's going to jeopardize my sobriety. It's going to do that. It's like, not all, you know, you know, no, like you just, just shift your focus, put this on the shelf, come back to it later. You know, this is not an issue that's going away. We're going to there. I have tools to deal with it when I'm ready. I'm just not ready. You know? 
I'm, I'm hearing so strongly that, you know, it, it was kind of like just picking at a wound. Yeah, exactly. You know? And, yeah. and I just like, I need to, to leave this, as- set it aside. I love yeah. that. You and did I did what you myself needed to do. doing a similar thing. And it really is an important part of this work too, is to recognize that I'm not ready to deal with this right now. And yeah. focusing on it is hurting me. Yeah. It's kind of like in the big book about sex, where it says, if sex is troublesome, go for a walk. Right. <laughs> no, I think we throw ourselves all the harder into helping our fellow man, which really works out well for me. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm hearing some justification again. <laughs> <laughs> or in or in if drink is a problem, what do we do? We turn our we we ask God for help mm-hmm. and then we turn our attention to others. Yeah. And th- that sounds like what you're yeah. talking about, Shana. Yeah. It's like, you know, you got this anger's there. It's justifiable, but it doesn't matter. You The, the anger is yours. So what are you going to do with it? You ask for help. You talked it over with a sponsor, and now you need to turn your attention to others. And- yeah, that's a great point. No, I will say that after that, uh, um, I didn't even think of this, but like newcomers started flooding into my life. So oh, yes. <laughs> really? Yes. I was a very good distraction. Very <laughs> no. awesome. There it is. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so I mean, it it to- it takes me to a, th- a thing that I loved in my early recovery. I found this. I've mentioned it before, but I made it my wallpaper on my Motorola Razor phone, and it was waiting time is not wasted time. Mm-hmm. Something is being worked out in me, in the universe, and something in someone else. Something something like that. Yeah. And sometimes you just gotta set it aside. You gotta wait. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a, that sounds good. Well. I can't wait to we have our question for the old timer because Shane is she's an old timer as well. So we'll get some uh, now I should say veteran. Now, you, I, I don't know. Is how, what, at what point do you become an old timer? Is there like a, is it that's like a, a good question? Or, yeah. I, I, don't know. I, I think that technically happens when there's no one around who's, who's got more time than you. Oh, then that's not. The so case. it's entirely subjective. <laughs> no, the responsibility <laughs> is too much to handle. <laughs> well, Shana, watch out. Whoop, there was a hint of it. There's a there's an owl that's just like hooing to get ready to like swoop or something. You know, we've made the sound of an owl <laughs> and there their feathers are specifically designed so that you cannot hear them move through the air. Mm. They are silent. Mm-hmm. So our owl is just a little drunk, maybe. Boiled. Nice. It's time for our old timers question. <laughs> you call it an old timer! <laughs> You, that's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die and you outlast everybody else in your home group. (laughs) Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time, Sammy. (laughs) Don't spit. I think there's a little something on your webcam. (laughs) You can post a question at boiledowlaa.org. We have a question. How do I do this one day at a time? How do I not drink? That is from Shrinking Violet in High Point, North Carolina. Me? Do I answer that? 
that's supposed to be done, you know, I, but I'm he thinking, seems to be like you're chugging jumping away it. on Go that for one. it, Shana. You're <laughs> jumping on this. So how do I do this one day at a time? How do I not drink? I mean, the way I do it now is I go to a lot of meetings. I have a sponsor. I reach out. Well, I'm not actually that great at reaching out. I am good at reaching out to my sponsor, but not so much with others. And just try to like do the next right thing, do what's in front of you and um, keep it in the day. You know, that's what my sponsor always tells me. Just keep it in the day and meetings in the beginning. It's all about meetings and connecting and sponsor, you know, relying on your sponsor. Like that's, that's the beginning, just doing that every day. And then, you know, prayer eventually gets incorporated in there and it depends on where you are in your journey. But I think in the, I remember in the beginning for me, it was always meetings, sponsor network. That's mm. yeah. And yeah. Shana? Don, have you figured out what you're going to say now? Or are you just going to totally take what Shana said and make it your own? Yeah, that's what I think I'm going to go along the lines of what you do every week, Sam. Exactly that. <laughs> I, <laughs> since you have taken the last position, can you always spring the question on me? Um, <laughs> the, it is one of my few joys in life, Don. <laughs> It's the truth going to meetings is the, and the one day at a time, that just didn't make any sense to me at all. When I first got, it was like one day at a time, that's the most vacuous statement. It's like, am I going to have to buy some, a pillow and start needlepoint one day at a time? I thought of it in terms of like every day and every way I'm getting better and better. But <laughs> let's start chanting that like zombies, sober zombies, uh, walking around, weak-minded cow brains. But I was full, <laughs> as you might be able to tell, of judgment when I came wait, wait, into wait. the I, I'm seeing the zombies, the alcoholic zombies going around going grains. <laughs> brains. No, they're walking around going, let go. Let God, these rooms, these rooms. That expression drove me crazy. See, that's a thing. It's like, why would that? But it did. It pissed me off every time somebody said these rooms. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know why, because I didn't like being a part of something, I guess. I was trying to find ways to hold myself apart yeah. from the group. And that's what I was doing. And the one day at a time thing is like, oh, I'm going to judge that. That's what, little did I know that that's the essence of how to live in the world mm. is the present moment. There's a book, The Power of Now, mm -hmm. whole book on it. It's there are whole religious philosophies based on it. How do I live one day at a time? There is no other way to live. There is no other time to live. What I needed to do was realize it. I mean, I cannot live in the future. And I used to do that. I actually had a girlfriend said, all you ever talk about is what you're going to do coming up. Mm. And I was what? That, that, I didn't understand that. But it's true. I did. I spent a lot of my imaginative time thinking about what's going to happen and how great it's going to be. And then the rest of my imaginative time was thought about what happened and what I should have done, mm -hmm. what I should have said, and what I will say next time. And it, 
In the meantime, I've got one foot in the past and one foot in the future, and I'm pissing on the present. How's that go? That sounds like one of those cliches, Don. <laughs> it is one. <laughs> they have turned into one of these AA zombies because one day at a time, is it's, it's what life is. The problem is it's hard to do because we were talking earlier about patterns and the inventory is about identifying patterns, ways that my brain works naturally, ways that I have built up over a lifetime of experience to protect myself. And there are ways that don't work. I have to identify that and then find other ways that do work, which is what all the people in AA are trying to help me with. So to do that, I needed to go to a meeting every day, sometimes twice a day, particularly at the beginning. And I was afraid of having my brain washed and it was like needed it desperately because I had to wash out all those old ways of thinking and put in new ways of, of how to think about the world. And I really do think about the world differently than I used to. Are you done? And <laughs> no, no, I'll quit there. I could go on and on. Shane is a professor, but I can talk like a professor. I mean, I can. Yes, but you're expound. more like one of those those 1800s professors that is selling like you know snake oil on the side of the road. How dare you! This stuff works, <laughs> guaranteed. <laughs> You need your top hat on right now, too. <laughs> All right. So um, how do I do this one day at a time? How do I not drink? Uh, you know, it, my mind went to two different things. And, and, and it was that that early sobriety thing for me of um, when I finally gave in, you know, uh, when I when I finally surrendered to this, um, I went to a meeting every day uh, at two on Saturdays. Uh, and I did that for, you know, at least a year. And the only excuse I gave myself not to go to a meeting uh, on a day was if I was doing something else healthy with other people in recovery. Mm. So there may have been eight or 10 times through the course of the year that I did not go to a meeting on, on a day. You know, the other thing I did was the the meeting that I chose as my predominant meeting, my wound up being my home group meeting, was the one that was in my witching hour. My witching hour was I got off work at 4.30 didn't, and I would go home, change clothes, take care of the dogs and get back out of the house and go to this clubhouse and get there about 5.15 or so for a meeting that started at six. That interrupted when I would normally start drinking. Yeah. And that was a really healthy practice for me to be able to have that as the new routine. Not only was I doing a meeting every day, but it was at that time when I would normally start drinking. That helped me a lot. But the other thought process that kicked in for me is, is today. You know, my God, we're in the middle of COVID times right now with lots of us isolating, staying in place as much as possible. You know, it is a day at a time thing. And I think that those of us that are in the in recovery community are probably doing this better. At least those of us with some experience in this are doing handling these 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 COVID issues a little better 
than folks who do not have experience with one day at a time type of living. I'm um, letting go as hard as I possibly can. There you go. Every day. Every day. And sometimes it's the same day over. I mean, we got some serious Groundhog Day going on here, but I'm okay. I mean, yeah, I have my moments. There are times when I'm just like, oh, this is, I'm doing okay. And I think that my experience in working a 12-step program and being a part of a recovery fellowship has greatly added to my ability to survive in a situation that is freaking nuts. Yeah, I you know the the one day at a time thing I think is uh, you know initially when you want to quit drinking what I did when I was like okay I can't do this anymore was I interrupted that time when I would normally start drinking and I interrupted it by going to a meeting um, and then the other thing was God that five hundred pound phone it sucks um, <laughs> but I made myself uh, reminders. Uh, that would go off twice a day for me to call somebody mm -hmm. so that I had a relationship established with some people and, and I was able to call them when I did want to take a drink. Uh, and that was an important interrupt too. I think, you know, initially one day at a time involves for me, it was in, I needed some interrupts. I needed to put some things in place that are going to interrupt what my old schedule, my old behavior was until I could get to that place where I'm ready to work the steps and I'm, and I'm jumping in with both feet. Yeah. Shana, what do you do today with the, the everydayness of COVID and staying in? What do you, what's your solution? Honestly, it is really going to like a lot of meetings. I will never, ever, ever say that this pandemic is a good thing in general or that I'm grateful for it, but I will say that it has worked wonders for my personal recovery. Um, before the pandemic, I was really struggling to get to meetings. You know, I was lucky if I got to one or two a week. Um, I was commuting a fair distance to work. I had just moved to a new city. Um, I was in a relationship with someone in recovery and we were trying to navigate meeting stuff and, you know, separate or together or whatever. And it just was a lot, you know, and I wasn't handling it very well. You know, I wasn't um, as vigilant with my recovery as, as I am now for sure. And I was also just coming out of a really difficult time in, in life. And anyway, it was just, it was hard. And then, you know, lockdown happened. Well, during all of that, I got out of a relationship into a new relationship, moved to a new place, like all of that. But before that I had established, um, a better, better habits with meetings. You know, I actually reconnected with all of my old groups that I went to in Greensboro and, um, you know, that's what I needed to do. Like I never got connected here in Raleigh. I'm still not, but right now it doesn't matter. You know, I am connected period. And wherever it is right now, it's what, it's whatever works. I realize that someday I'm going to have to deal with the fact that I live here, but it's not today. So just going <laughs> to a lot of meetings. Um, really I go to like between one and three a day. Um, I also yeah. do therapy. Um, and I, like I said, I'm not super great at reaching out to people, but I am getting better and I'm reaching out to newcomers more. I've had like, this is, I have a sponsee now, and this is the fourth one that I've had in the last few months. Um, the others were short lived. I don't know. This is a new situation too. I don't know how that's going to be. So trying to reach out to newcomers figuring out how I can do service, like in the small ways that I can being cooped up, you know, and like, like we keep saying, like, 
you know, really trying not to, and this is like, oh, I fail at this every second, but trying not to project and think about what's going to happen in the future. Man, I have to be reminded of that in meetings daily because I'm still really bad at that, but trying as best I can to just keep everything in the present, in the solution. I think that's how I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that just going to Zoom meetings, mm -hmm. which are available, and it's really right now, I don't know where, you know, when this gets published, but right now, that's the only thing that really is available. There's a couple of places that have face-to-face -face meetings, but for people my age, certainly, I'm not going <laughs> to anything like that. It's too much exposure, but the Zoom meetings are there, and just by showing up at a Zoom meeting and sharing in the meeting, you're helping people because I, I know with Shivering Denizens, meets at 5.30 daily. You go to nc23.org to find it. New people are coming into that meeting mm -hmm. and getting sober. Mm -hmm. And they desperately need to talk to people with sobriety, asking questions like, how do I stay sober one day at a time? And just by going to the meeting and showing up and sharing, that is big service work. And it helps me. We need to be able to find each other. And this and Zoom has that definitely made that easier. I'm so glad you're here, Sam. And if nobody's told you that they love you today, then let me be the first to say, take a look at yourself, Charlie. <laughs> um, no, thanks. I love you, Sam. Oh, God, I love you. Uh, well, as I'm so fond of telling Hank, uh, who, who was on the show a, a while ago, I tolerate you. <laughs> Shana, thanks for being on the show. I love you too. And thanks for coming to Shivering Denizens and participating. Yeah. Thanks y'all for having Shana, me. Shana, thank you so much. Yeah. God, Sam, it's, it's been awesome wonderful. Yes. I mean, I see Dawn at least twice a week, so it's good to see you, of course, but Sam, I miss you. It's great to see you. Well, here's a big virtual hug. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> All together now. Let me go. Oh, group hug. Hey, whose hand is that? <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. If you'd like to contribute to help with expenses, information on that is at the bottom of our website. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. think there were like seven people yeah. at this little clubhouse each time and it was the same ones yeah. and it's like oh, yeah. totally getting sober in a <laughs> tiny town yeah I, I i'm surprised they don't kill each other oh god <laughs> they don't because they're in recovery <laughs> oh oh okay they're yeah. all letting go yeah. as hard as they can <laughs> <laughs>